Um, so it's 9.15. Of course, the daylight savings thing probably threw people off, but uh, I, I was... Uh, what's that? Oh, maybe it's... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they went the other direction on accident. That'd be bad, so... A um, uh, couple things to start off with. Um, one uh, is this. I have a stack of these up here. Uh, Crossway, the publisher, uh, had a deal that they would give uh, 20 copies of this book called Rediscover Church by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman uh, to um, basically any pastor. So I got those last week finally. It took a couple months. Um, but uh, I have them. And uh, we're not going to go through this like in another book study. Uh, but if you promise to read this in the next like three months or so, um, you are welcome to a copy. So uh, it's first come, first serve. There's a stack of them up here. Um, any that are left over, I'm going to open up to everyone who's here in the main service. So uh, if you want one, it's really, really good. I've read through it. Uh, really, really helpful. It kind of sets the whole context of thinking about church, especially in, uh, it, he refers to the the cultural moment, so to speak, with COVID-19 and protests and things like that. He just kind of sets uh, timeless principles in, in in relation to the things we've been going through over the last couple of years. So it's really timely, really good, uh, really uh, excellent principles. So you are welcome to a copy. Uh, just grab one after um, if you want one. Again, we're not going through it, but if you would read it in the next uh, three months, you are welcome to a copy. So that's one thing. Um, I'll set this here. Uh, let's uh, start the way we normally do and just ask, uh, what opportunities have you had for spiritual conversations this week? Um, uh, just whether it's a full gospel uh, opportunity that you've had or, or not, um, what, what opportunities do you, have you had and what, what, that we can be praying for? Or not. Well, if... Yeah. Tabor, right? Uh huh. Yeah. That. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Okay, we'll frame for that. Um, all right, others. Okay, keep, keep praying for open doors. Uh, we live in a lost world with many around us who don't know the Lord. So um, uh, we'll keep... Oh. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Any others? All right, let's uh, open um, in a word of prayer then. Father, we pray for more opportunities. Lord, we want to encounter people, and then as we encounter them, um, to um, to speak of you. Um, Lord, you are a treasure. You are our delight uh, of our life. And Lord, give us um, opportunities and give us joy in speaking of you to others. Lord, just pray for Lance um, just uh, and Patricia, just as they have a neighbor and a couple neighbors, I think, um, that they've been trying to reach out to. Just give them wisdom in that and hope, um, being able to, to speak of you, to talk of you, um, and, um, 
And I pray that uh, there would be interest, that there would be desire um, on the part of the other person to, to find out more and to hear from your word. Pray for Gary and just uh, his daughter and uh, that visit. I pray that that would be a sweet time. Pray that you give Gary wisdom in how to speak of you and to um, proclaim you um, faithfully, Lord God. We, we ask for that. Thank you for this time this morning as we get to continue to talk about discipleship. Uh, help us to be uh, faithful disciples and also in that uh, to be discipling others. Lord God, give us uh, wisdom and growth and grace uh, to know how to do that. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people that are here. In your name, amen. All right, so we get into chapter 5 and 6 this week um, in our book. I like these chapters quite a bit. Um, so uh, hopefully, uh, I, I, I want to take our time through these. So if we don't get through both, that's okay, um, because they're really, really important. Uh, because what they're doing uh, in both of them, and really, if you were to read that book, you would see a lot of the same sort of language and ideas. They're couching discipleship in the context of the local church. Uh, and they're, they're, he kind of uses the illustration of... Um, the, the things he talks about in relation to the local church, they're the skeletal structure, the accountability structures uh, for discipleship. Um, and then he also talks about the relationships you have within that, uh, those accountability structures. Um, that's where discipling happens. They're kind of the muscle and the tissue that gets put on it. So we're starting in chapter 5, page 51 on the local uh, church. And he kind of starts talking about the navigators um, and just the beginning of that ministry and how it came about and their aims. And he says they're good aims, um, but uh, if you look at the description, it's like, well, wait a minute, that's what the local church should be doing. So he's not downplaying the navigators. He's just trying to say that a lot of the organizations or programs that we have even outside the church, uh, they're really claiming to do what the church is doing. And that's the danger of parachurch organizations. Um, so then he draws our attention to the church. Um, and uh, what are some things that you saw on page, kind of that first section there, page 52, 53, but what about the church? Um, some things that stood out to you that you had questions about, uh, that you underlined? Yeah, and he kind of gives a lot of examples, that, that paragraph at the end of 52 going over into 53, and really he's stating it negatively, but if you were to flip all of those around and positively, that gives a characterization of what, what, what would a culture of discipleship look like, right? And kind of some practical suggestions even of what could it look like uh, to have that, that culture, um, reaching out to others. Uh, helping them follow Jesus. That's our definition of discipleship, right? Um, a disciple is a follower of Christ. Discipleship is helping someone uh, learn to follow Christ better. How do we do that? And then he gives some really practical examples in that paragraph of what that could look like or what we could fail to do if we don't take those opportunities. So, um, okay, what, um, uh, any other things in that first section, 52, 53? Okay. 
Okay, so then he drills down a little bit deeper. Um, in starting in 53, the church itself as the discipler. Um, he, really, he's making the argument that the natural environment for discipling is the local church, and it's part of that. Um, he says this on page 53, in fact, it teaches that the local church is itself the basic discipler of Christians. It does this through its weekly gathering and its accountability structures, this chapter, that's what he's talking about in this chapter, as well as its elders and members, and that's the next chapter and what he's talking about. Um, what do you think about that, um, as what he's talking about the church as uh, in and of itself and a community of discipleship? What, what do you think about that? Right. And even here, what he's trying to do is not just those, the, those would be kind of the tissue, the muscle kind of relationships, like the, 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 the relational side of that, that discipleship, which is so necessary. But here, he's even highlighting the structures themselves, right? The local church as an institution, as a structure uh, to provide um, as part of this whole mixture of doing discipleship. I, um, I started this paragraph on 53, he says, the gathered local church is responsible to preach the whole counsel of God through those gifted for this purpose. Through baptism, it affirms credible professions. Through the Lord's Supper, it declares the Lord's death and makes the many into one. Uh, speaking of the picture of joining the whole body uh, into, one, uh, into one and showing that unity. And through excommunication, church discipline, it removes anyone whose life unrepentantly contradicts his or her uh, profession. And then he says, all of those things are the church's skeletal structure. Like, those are the kind of bare minimums of a church. Like, where those things are practiced, um, in, in a, where people have agreed to practice those things together, that's where you have a local church. What do you guys think about that? Things were surprising, things were helpful. Uh, I think that's a really important paragraph in even just defining what a church is. But then he's trying to relate that um, to this to discipleship and how that structure, that skeletal structure is necessary. Susan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right, and, and it's, and it's um, uh, I've said it before, I'll keep saying it, right, because this is, 
This is exactly what we need, I would say, in our culture and in our time, right? We have, we have a culture of the self, uh, the autonomous individual, the expressive individual. It's all about the individual, right? But, uh, and it's anti-authoritarian um, as well, right? So to talk about the church as having authority, the local church as having this kind of authority to affirm someone's profession through the ordinances, baptism is the one-time entrance, uh, Lord's Supper is the ongoing affirmation, and then uh, the back door, so to speak, is dis- discipline, right? Uh, that pro- that The necessity of being able to do those things and be the skeletal structure that Dever's talking about is a authority, right? Now, kind of skipping just to, to kind of, if we're talking about authority, we got to know where does that come from? What does he argue for? And I'm, here I'm looking on page uh, kind of 55 um, through 56. Where does that authority come from? Where does he argue the authority to the local church to affirm someone's profession of faith in an initial and ongoing way and then to deny it through church discipline? Where does he argue that authority comes from? Well, Christ, ultimately, and in what form? Where do you see? Yes. Um, but specifically, what scriptures, let me put it that way, what scriptures would we point to to say, yes, the local church has that authority, given to it by Christ? Fifty-five and top of fifty-six. Yeah, so he talks about Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. So what's the key language that he points to? And this is really important. Um, in Matthew 16, let's start there, that says Christ gave the church this authority. So what's he referring to in Matthew 16? Peter, right. So what, it, what happens? So this episode with Jesus and Peter, what happens? Remember what goes on in Matthew 16? Here, let's go ahead and turn there. Turn to Matthew 16. This is really important. Who would like to read Matthew 16, 13 through 20? Uh, through 20, please. Okay, so this whole thing starts with Jesus asking, okay, you've seen all the stuff I've been doing. Who do you, 
you know, he asks, well, who do people say that I am? But then he asks them, plural, it's actually he starts out as a plural question, uh, who do you, plural, say that I am? Um, and then Peter answers on behalf of everyone and says, you are the Christ, you're the Son of God. Uh, and then Jesus pronounces a, a blessing particular to Peter. He is a, uh, what did he confess? Who Christ is, right? He confessed who Christ is. That's the core of the gospel, right? So he's confessed uh, the true faith. He doesn't fully understand yet. We understand that, that uh, exactly who he's confessing yet. And yet it does, Jesus does give him a privileged position in the sense of uh, you are Peter. Peter is Petros. It means stone. And then rock there is Petra. So Jesus is forming a pun. And he's saying, hey, uh, you confess me as Christ. Uh, and whether it's just Peter or whether it's also the rest of the disciples, uh, the point is Peter is a confessor of the Christ. There's going to be other confessors that Jesus is making up his church. But then he also gives to Peter this, uh, the, what does he give to him? And it's still singular you, so he's giving it to Peter. The keys of the kingdom. What do the keys of the kingdom do? Loose and bind, right? So keys, they open doors, they shut doors. Uh, loose and bind, it's kind of this, um, I'm still doing a little bit more research on it, but we'll get, so you'll have a way better explanation once we get to Matthew 16, right? Um, but um, you, the, it's, it's this idea that you're, you're, um, you're, you're binding someone uh, uh, in a, uh, saying you're, um, you're out, <laughs> or you're loosing someone, saying you're in, okay? Now here, this is the authority given to Peter, individually, okay? But the keys of the kingdom is this binding and loosing language. Now turn over to Matthew 18. And someone who hasn't read yet, read Matthew 18, uh, 15 through 20. Through 20. Okay, so you see the same binding and loosing language. Here the U's are plural, and it's clearly referring to the local church. So you say the same authority that was given to Peter and the apostles initially uh, to affirm people's confession, because that's what Peter did, right? He had the right confession, uh, and affirming people's confession, and now that's transferred to the local church, right? So that's why we say the local church has the authority to affirm people's um, confession, right? Uh, which is the argument that, that Dever is making in his book, right? That when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about 
and why do we need the local church? Why does discipleship need to be in connection with the local church? Because that is the very structure that Christ himself has given by his authority to affirm or deny uh, a disciple's um, profession. Um, and here we see just in the couple of passages, we've just seen the giving of that authority, right? How does it work itself out in practice? We get some some um, things there as well. But what thoughts do you have so far? This is, this is really important stuff, so I want to make sure you guys are asking questions and um, um, on what we're talking about here. This is super important. Yeah, exactly. Right, which is why, right, when we think about affirming another disciple's, you know, this is what he talks about as an accountability structure, right? He's, G- Jesus doesn't just save an individual, but he saves them into the church for their good to hold them accountable, right? Um, that's what he's saying. And so when we talk about that, it's not just, um, you know, like Mike just said, it's Christ who's saying that, he's, and he's giving us means and methods for how to do this, right? It's not just... Uh, well, how do we do that? Well, actually, he's given us a lot of instruction. There's a lot of freedom there still as well, but there's a lot of instruction as far as the, the skeletal structure of what that looks like. Uh, does this make sense to everyone? Questions on this? Okay. And what he says is, uh, page 56, in short, the gathered assembly possesses the authority to affirm or, dif- or disaffirm who belongs to the body of Christ, or who is a disciple. If you wanted a good parallel passage, you would turn to 1 Corinthians 5. We won't read that right now, but it's a good uh, parallel passage. And what you see there is another church discipline situation where um, Paul is talking to a gathered group, and they're saying, uh, in, you're gathered in the name of Christ uh, as a group of confessors, like Peter, right? Uh, remove your affirmation from this person's discipleship because they're not acting like a Christian. Right? That's the back door. There's both the entrance side of it, uh, the initial affirmation, but then there's the back door um, is the idea. It all works together, uh, and that's part of what he's pointing to. Um, okay, and then he kind of ends um, uh, 56 and 57. He's tying this idea of authority to the ordinances, to baptism and the Lord's Supper. So baptism, Lord's Supper, church discipline, they all work together uh, to do what he's talking about to provide the authority structure of the church. Uh, Is that new to people? Uh, Is that a different way of thinking than you've heard before Uh, and how he's tying the authority um, to the ordinances? Things you would comment on that or questions? Right. Right. Right, right. And that's the problem, right? And I think this goes back to, um, I think, what Susan said, right? That there's kind of this mentality right now in America, right? You can walk into a church and kind of say that I belong, and it's you saying it. But actually, authority hasn't been given to you um, by Christ as an individual disciple uh, to affirm your own discipleship. It's actually the local church has the role and the authority given to it by Christ to um, affirm or to deny your discipleship, which is a grace, 
right? Because if I'm getting off track as an individual disciple, I want the accountability of others around me to say, hey, Chris, you're walking off the trail there, buddy. Uh, you're not looking like a disciple. Um, and if you keep going this way, we're going to have to remove our affirmation. How would the church remove its affirmation of someone's discipleship in practical terms? According to Didover, anyway. Yeah, so you'd walk... Th- so you walk through Matthew 18, and God forbid you got to that. We don't want to get to the last step, right? But suppose you did, what would the removal of affirmation of discipleship mean? Right. Right. And how would we visibly portray that this, this person's no longer part of us? Well, that's part of it, for sure. But what are the means that Christ has given for, to, to show that this person's no longer with us? Yeah, Eden. Yeah, you withhold communion, right? Which is significant because what is communion doing? It's the gospel in visual form, right? It's portraying uh, that I am part of this body— because I'm partaking of this one bread, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, if I'm taking this, that uh, I'm part of the body and I'm part of, uh, the, part of the people that Christ has rescued um, but through his death and resurrection, right? So church discipline, yeah, they probably are not going to come to church anymore, right, as far as the gathering, but the church is removing them from communion by saying, you don't get to partake in the new covenant sign because you're not acting like it. We can't see and affirm your discipleship anymore. But what makes a church, it's not just, yeah, that's the context of the church is the proper place for communion, because it's not just an individual thing. Exactly, right? Um, It's for those who are putting themselves and submitting to the authority of the local church that Christ himself has given. Um, So that's why all three things um, are tied together. Really, what we're talking about here is church membership, right? What we're saying is that Church membership, baptism in the Lord's Supper, and discipline, they're all tied together. If you try to look at church membership as, hey, I've joined Costco, great, I get some good benefits, right? Um, that's not how we view church membership. What we're saying is membership, a local church is its membership, right? We always say that, right? The church is people. Uh, how do we know who's part of the local church? Uh, we know through membership. How is membership, how is initial discipleship affirmed by the local church? Uh, when we didn't get to this, how is, according to Dever, uh, initial discipleship affirmed by the local church? Baptism, right? So you are being, uh, you are identifying with Christ. You died to sin, right? 
with Christ. You're raised to life with Christ. But who's doing the baptizing? The church, local churches, right? Great Commission. Make disciples by baptizing them, right? So that's that initial affirmation. Lord's Supper is the ongoing affirmation, and church discipline is the removal of affirmation. Um, and really, those three things work together to define what a local church is. It, a local church is its membership. Sure. It's an excellent question, right? Uh, let me answer your first question first, right? What if you've already been baptized? Well, we've got a case of that. Mike and Lori are joining our membership this morning, right? We're affirming them. How did we go about that? Well, we as elders met with Mike and Lori individually, and um, we asked for their test, their confession, right? Think back to Peter and the Matthew 16. We asked for their confession of faith. Uh, we asked for an articulation of the gospel, uh, we asked, are you holding the same, this is where doctrinal statements are really important, right? Are you holding to, like, because you could confess Christ, but maybe you, you, uh, you believe he's a, another God, or maybe you think he's a created person, right? So this is where the doctrinal confession, or doctrinal um, a statement comes in, where are you holding the same faith that we are, right? Um, and so we work through those things. And then it's like the elders say, yeah, we think Mike and Lori are believers. They're trusting Christ alone for their salvation. And now we present them to the current members, right? And the current members, uh, they, they're going to hear their, their, um, their testimonies today. So you, uh, the current members get to know them a little bit. And then what's that membership, right? You're agreeing that the local church is agreeing. We're going to hold you accountable uh, and they're also agreeing, we're submitting um, to you. It's a both two-way street. We're, we're committing to you, you're committing to us. So that's, a, they've already been baptized, so that's already been done. It's more like, all right, you've already, someone already stamped your passport at another local church, that's good. We're just going to stamp your passport at this church. We've already been baptized, that initial profession's done. We don't need to be baptized again, but we just want to do a little, a little checking. That's why we're, if you've noticed, when we baptize Bailey, and when we affirmed Ethan, right, it looked all, all very similar, doesn't it, right? You're hearing a testimony, uh, and then we do the same thing. Do you, do you church, affirm this person? Yes. Do you, um, new member, affirm this church or come under this church? Yes. And it looks identical because we're doing the same thing, right? As far as the ongoing thing with Lord's Supper, um, that is an excellent question, right? Uh, so we, the what I love about what we do here, right, is people stand up, they come up, and you can see that this person, at least by coming forward, is professing uh, a, some sort of faith in Christ, right? But the challenge becomes, how do we know? How do we know, right? And at a certain level, as far as you can go is by warning, right? Uh, that's why I warn every time, uh, uh, we warn every time we do communion. You shouldn't take this if you don't know Christ, or if you're an unrepentant sin, or if you're divided with someone else in the body. Because what is this portraying? It's not just an individual thing. It's uh, showing your, your separation from the world and your identification with the body of Christ. Um, and so 
That's why we warn. We don't, it's not like uh, John Calvin, he, he like to prevent some people from taking communion, he like threw himself like, stab me before you take communion, right? Um, which uh, we haven't gotten to that, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but uh, it's the word, right? We fence with the word and uh, I've given you all the warnings I can give you in a sense and if you come forward and partake, it's between you and God. And God will execute judgment on you if you are taking in an unworthy manner. So that's part of it. Um, there's more that could be said, but that's the basics. So, yeah. This is really important. Really, really, really important. That's why we're kind of belaboring this. Uh, further questions, follow-up questions. Yeah, Lori. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, we do know, like even the early church, right, um, church in Jerusalem, you've got multiple thousands of people, right? So evidently there is a way, uh, at least at a certain level, to, uh, to, 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 I mean, all of those people that were in the initial church, right, uh, Peter preaches his sermon, uh, Acts 2.41, and that day there were added 3,000 people after they were baptized, right? That baptism was the mark, the initial mark of being brought into the church. And it's public, right? People are, your faith is going public. People are seeing that, and they're saying, okay, I'm accountable, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm accountable, to, I'm accountable to holding that person accountable, right? Um, it does get difficult with sizes, right? So you start increasing. It's really easy to be anonymous, to just come in, um, you know, and, and, and to wander out, uh, which I think there's some wisdom then. Um, it's not absolute, but I think there's some wisdom on why we plant more churches, right? We don't just keep growing and growing and growing and growing because then we lose the accountability to each other and the knowledge of one another as members. And so what do we do? We plant another church that can hold that group of disciples accountable, right? Um, and you see how this dynamic works, right? Each, each church is an accountability structure for whoever is its members. So if someone, um, he uses his illustration, I think it's later, I think it's in the next chapter, actually. He uses his illustration where, what if, what if it's a fellow believer who's a part of another church? Or maybe they're not part of another church, right? Uh, I can love them, I can encourage them, but I can't hold them accountable in the same way that I can hold uh, a member of my church accountable, right? And so this is why we believe uh, it's not just, you just don't want to keep growing, growing and growing and growing and growing. You want to, you want to have another church, another embassy that can ratify those people's discipleship and hold them accountable. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, the, right, it's, it, there is some, we don't, I haven't read anything yet that gives me a clear, like, this is exactly what it looked like. You can kind of get some pictures and some snapshots um, of, like, okay, you're meeting in a home, and then you're coming together in a bigger sort of way, but it, basically what you see, especially with, uh, like, when you get into Paul's letters, He'll float between 
the universal church, right, like all believers. Uh, and the universal church isn't just all believers who are currently alive. The universal church is all believers who, will, who have ever trusted in Christ. That won't be revealed and made manifest in public until the end of time, right? So what do we have in the meantime? We have embassies of the future, right? If that's the future kingdom, we have embassies of the future where the, the, the universal church becomes manifest in a, in a local embassy, so to speak. Um, and what you see in Paul is he'll say, the, the assembly of God, the church of God, in Corinth. The church of God in Ephesus, right? And depending on the city size, yeah, you might have more smaller groups of that. But then he refers to them a little bit differently. I think in Rome, it's more clear that there's lots of little churches. But then he says the saints who are in Rome, right? So each of those little churches, right, they've become, they're submitting to elders and to pastors. They're, um, they're affirming one another in discipleship. Um, but you could have a bunch of saints, a bunch of local churches in one city. So, Sure. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, in Jerusalem, you got the temple court um, outside of that. I mean, there were some halls, like Paul teaches in Ephesus in the Hall of Tyrannus. But, like, uh, yeah, usually if you're talking about gathering in a home, even if the person's wealthy, you might be able to fit, like, 60 people um, in, in, a, in a local church. So. Right. Right, it's this idea of, it's not just showing up, as important as that is, right? I mean, he's saying the gathering, right? It's the, the church is the, the church is the people. The church is the membership, right? So the members come together, and that's the local temple assembling, right? It's really important, right? But in the midst of that, it's not just, okay, you showed up, but we know one another. We're holding one another accountable. We're Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, right? He talks about discipleship as teaching, so we come, we hear the word of God preached, we sit under that word, we're held accountable to that word to one another, but even in other smaller settings, one-on-one, one-on-few, we are speaking the truth to one another to help grow the church. The church is people, so we're adding more people through new disciples, we're uh, helping uh, current disciples to keep growing. David, I think your hand was up.
and that's what, and thankfully, our, and, and God, God, may the Lord bless you all, and may the Lord bless our church, because when people come in, they do see that love for one another, right? It is very evident that the person gets mobbed, hey, hey who are you, blah, blah, blah. you know, but also they see people talking, loving one another, staying after service for a long time to just know one another, and that's, that's significant stuff. Uh, it's, it's picturing what David is talking about, right? How do you know who Jesus' disciples are? They're loving one another, right, in the context of these structures that Christ himself has given, um, and then within those structures, there's unity. Um, so, yeah, Matt. It's not, yeah. Right. Then you must not... Yeah, exactly, right? And that's the thing is what we're saying is Christ is not only... It's not only saving individuals, but he's given people an accountability structure in terms of the local church uh, so that people's discipleship is affirmed in an initial, ongoing way, and it'll be removed if you don't live the life of a disciple, right? That's why things like small groups, as good as they are, right, and helpful for getting to know one another, spending time with one another, great, uh, but they're not the church, right? Um, and so on and so forth. That's why, uh, you know, d- digital church, right, watching someone preaching over a screen and hearing, that's not church, why? Because you're not gathering, physically gathering with other people. You may hear the same sermon and the same message, but you're not accountable at all to any of those people that are in that church. Um, so all of these things that become sharper and focused, right? This is why I say this is the best, best thing to come out of COVID, right? Is to sh- sharpen our understanding of well, how has Christ designed the church and how is it supposed to function, uh, which is a lot of what we're talking about there. Super important, right? Because if we neglect this, it feels, I was telling Ashley this last night, a lot of the things we do, like Getting up and someone giving a speech or singing together or, like, it feels so insignificant, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels like, what are we doing, you know? But we know it, God loves to do First uh, Corinthians 1 and 2, right? Like, he, he, he shows his wisdom through the things that really look despised to everything else, right? And that's why we keep harping on this stuff and um, we're trying to as elders trying to instruct you and help us all to grow in this mindset of the church is important. The local church is very important. It doesn't look that significant, but it's extremely significant in what um, Jesus is doing in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, Mike.
Yes. 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 It, it makes membership meaningful, right? In the sense that you are, it's a mutual commitment. Really, that's why we have a covenant of fellowship, right? We are covenanting together, uh, saying that here's our profession of faith, our doctrinal statement, right? And we are responsible to one another. We are holding each other accountable. Uh, the elders take a point sort of lead in that, but it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole um, body thing, right? That's why, um, that's why we do membership, so... Okay, we should probably be done for today, but if you have more questions, uh, we didn't get to chapter 6. That's okay. Um, this is really, really important. In fact, uh, we'll spend more time on it next week in chapter 6. So if you need to read through it again, that's fine. Um, uh, we're off schedule now. That's okay. We'll, we'll get through it. So, But we'll just do chapter 6 next week. Um, but if you need to read through it again and ask questions, underlying things, because this is really important stuff as we think about um, our church. So, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your people. We thank you that you, from eternity past, predestined a people for yourself, and you sent your Son to ransom those people for yourself, and you gave your Spirit to empower those people for obedience, and we thank you for all those things. We thank you for the, the joy and the glory of the new covenant that we get to experience here in just a few minutes with the gathering of the local church. And uh, Lord, we pray that people would be uh, challenge, that people be blessed and encouraged. Um, we pray that we would grow um, together and we would honor you uh, as we work together um, to, to manifest your love for one another, to, um, our unity, to affirm one another's discipleship, to hold one, each other accountable, um, and, uh, and just pray that you would be honored. And um, thank you this morning that we get to uh, take communion and affirm discipleship, and we thank you also that we get to affirm new members, and uh, we praise you for that, and thank you. Um, bless this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.